Thank you, Osborns, for reading that lovely scripture for us. Merry Christmas to you all. If we haven't met yet, I'm Svea Mary. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to add my welcome to all of you on this fourth Sunday in Advent. Each week in this series, we've been considering the different themes of Advent. We've looked at faith and hope and love, and now today I'm glad that we get to look at peace. And I'm thankful for the opportunity Advent gives to focus on peace because I long for peace at this time of year. Maybe you do too. I, I long for peace every time we sing Silent Night with its call for all to be calm and bright. Peacefulness for me right now would look like sitting in my living room with my loved ones, a fire in the fireplace, soft music in the background, the twinkly lights of the Christmas tree over there, and having some unhurried time just to sit and reflect on the goodness of Jesus Emmanuel, our God with us. What would it look like for you in these next couple of weeks to feel peace during this Christmas time? I'll tell you what Google Images thinks a peaceful Christmas looks like. It suggested this to me as the top hit for peace at Christmas time. And this is lovely, isn't it? It's very inviting. I mean, if we could all just transport ourselves to this lake cabin, I'm sure we could have a lovely, peaceful Christmas together. But what about when reality sets in and the things that maybe cause us not to feel so at peace in our normal life found us here? What then? Well, whether this coming weekend promises to hold for you all of the harmony and laughter and twinkly lights your heart can hold, or whether you're just wishing this weekend would pass by like another ordinary weekend, I'd like to make you a bold promise. Peace is available to you. The Bible has very good news for us about peace, and my goal for today is to unwrap what it says about real peace that will allow you to both experience it and share it with others, whether you're at the lake cabin or not. Our series thesis this Advent has been to remember, to receive, and reflect the light. And our focus on peace this morning is going to follow that same format. We're going to remember the peace that Jesus brought for us. We're going to consider how we receive it. And I hope to encourage you to reflect it well. The most basic understanding of peace is that it's the pleasant state from being free of disturbances. Countries are at peace when they're not at war. Relationships are at peace when they're not in conflict. Peace is quiet as opposed to noise. It's calm as opposed to chaos. It's that state of tranquility, free from all negativity. It sounds heaven-like, doesn't it? Come, Lord Jesus. During this week of Advent, as we're focused on peace and the peace that Jesus brings, which along with everything else about him is such good news for us in this peace-starved world, just before the candle was lit, you heard the Osbournes read for us Isaiah 52, which begins this way, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And there's good news for us indeed in this truth that God has brought us peace and that he reigns. Now we're going to come back to this passage in a little bit, but I want to saturate the message first in several other scriptures because I want us to have a really solid understanding of peace. I want a full three-dimensional picture of all that it means for us. And we're going to do that by beginning to look at a few of the passages that we often hear told at Christmas time. The first is from Micah 5 
which says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Isn't that great? They'll live securely, and he'll be their peace. Another famous Christmas text, Isaiah 9-6, is the one that's put to such beautiful music and handles Messiah. It speaks of Jesus as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The next verse goes on to say, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. I love that. It's such good news for us to remember. There's no end to the peace that Jesus brings. Arguably the most happy and familiar of all the Christmas passages is Luke 2. And Luke 2 is a very big part of my own family's Christmas morning traditions, uh, which, just as a side, I've enjoyed over the years watching how much Christmas morning has changed in our house. You know, when the kids were little and they'd wake up obscenely early and drag us out of bed so that Christmas morning could begin as fast as possible. And now that all of our kids are young adults, it's Steve and me who can't seem to sleep a full night anymore. And so we're up drinking coffee, just waiting for the kids to arrive. But there's joy in all of those stages. But anyway, once we're now finally all together in the living room, before we open any gifts or eat any breakfast, we read Luke 2 together, the story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. And the pinnacle of Luke 2 is when Jesus is born and the angels appear suddenly praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And it is glorious indeed. It's the reason we celebrate Christmas. Jesus, our Savior, is born. He's come to give us peace. There's just one problem, though. I don't always feel at peace. And maybe you don't either. Every generation from the time that Jesus came has still experienced war and stress and tension and conflict. So where's the peace? Did we miss something? Well, one easy theological answer and a totally true answer is that the full realization of complete peace is something we're still waiting for. We're still in Advent anticipation of Jesus' second coming when Jesus will come again to return everything to perfect harmony, to that time when there never again will be any death or conflict or violence of any kind. And those days are coming and they'll be ours for eternity. But what about for us now? Isn't there a peace that we're supposed to have? Didn't the verses that we already saw imply that he brought peace when he came before? Yes. And I will tell you from having experienced it, it is good. It's way better, in fact, than what the world tells us peace is all about. You see, the world aims for peace by trying to resolve all conflict. That's wonderful, but is it realistic? I mean, how, do you have confidence that any world leader could ever achieve a state of perfect peace within their own nation, let alone internationally? Or bring it down to an individual level. Have you ever been able to achieve for yourself a state where you felt like, I'm at complete peace with every aspect of my life? I know I sure haven't. There, there has to be more to this concept of peace than just resolving conflict. 
Almost all of the verses that we've looked at so far were originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Now, shalom includes everything that we've already seen so far about peace, this concept of tranquility and calm and absence of conflict, but it, its full meaning is much deeper, much richer than what we think of simply as peace. Shalom includes the concept of well-being. It points to a wholeness of soul and spirit in any situation. It aims for health in conflict. It points us to our security in God, even when life isn't entirely peaceful. And as we continue our exploration today in this topic of peace, keep the richness of shalom in mind. Jesus isn't simply our Prince of Peace. He's our Prince of Shalom. When I was a really little girl and afraid of monsters in bedtime at night, my mom helped me understand this concept of shalom. I don't think that she actually realized that that's what she was doing at the time, but to help me with my bedtime fears, she taught me a verse from the Psalms. We even made up a little tune and we would sing it every night at bedtime. I'm not gonna sing it for you now, don't worry. But the verse was Psalm 4, verse 8, and it said, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. As a five-year-old, singing this verse was enough to make me feel safe and that I could sleep. But now as an adult, I find this psalm even more powerful than ever. Back then, verse eight gave me comfort, and I still love it and reflect on it often. But now I know the whole of Psalm 4. Psalm 4 begins this way. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Shalom is knowing that even when we're in distress, our righteous God hears us and answers us. Shalom is confidence that even though we struggle, our knowing our God as a love, loving God, a God of mercy, a God of peace, lets us sleep securely. Shalom is the truth that even if we feel hopeless, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus embodied this shalom for us when he came. And he promised us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now Jesus knew that the peace of his first coming wasn't going to eliminate all of the unpeaceful things in the world. He didn't want us to expect that yet. That comes later. And yet he did bring us a very potent and a very powerful peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you see the implications for us in peace in this? That sentence acknowledges that we still live in situations that are troubling. We still live in times that can make us feel afraid. But here's the good news. The peace that Jesus gives to us is shalom. It's peace available to us in the trouble. It's not dependent on the trouble being resolved first. And that's very good news to us because that means that Jesus' peace is available to us while we suffer. It's available to us when our world is calm and bright or whether it really is not. A couple of chapters later, Jesus warned his disciples, his apprentices, that they should expect that there will be tough times and yet peace is available to them in that he promised I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome.
the world. Take heart. If you're feeling any kind of trouble today, take heart. If you're feeling any kind of conflict today, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. But what does that mean? It means that there isn't any storm that we face that he can't walk out on the waves to meet us in. It means that there isn't any single lost sheep that he wouldn't drop everything to go and find. It means that there isn't any valley so dark that our God Emmanuel, our God with us, wouldn't come out into that valley to meet us in and guide us through. Luke 2 is the familiar Christmas story passage, but I wonder, have you ever studied what comes immediately before that at the very end of Luke 1? Luke 1 ends with some prophetic words about Jesus, some beautiful poetry describing Jesus as the rising sun who will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Isn't that beautiful? You know how we've been saying during this series in Advent that Advent is a time of waiting for the light that's coming to us in the darkness. This verse here is Advent. Jesus, our rising sun, comes to us in the darkness and in the shadow. And look what he's coming to do. He's coming to guide our feet into the path of peace. Here in Minnesota, we're still in this phase of winter right now where all of the snow that we got this past week is really beautiful. It's quite lovely out there right now. Now in March, not so much, but right now, the snow is quite nice. Have you gotten to go out for a walk in the snow yet? Walking in freshly fallen snow can be exhilarating, but it comes with a threat, and all of you fellow Minnesotans know this threat. You know, when you step in the snow and it's just a little bit deeper than your boot, you have to step very carefully or you'll have all that snow fall inside your boot and cold soak your feet. I hate that. (laughs) It's so much easier if you're walking with someone else who's just a few steps ahead of you, and then instead of stepping in the deep snow, you can just put your foot in their footprints and keep your feet warm. Jesus comes to us in the deep snow of our lives, and his footsteps guide us in the path of peace. Jesus is our guide in the way we should go as we navigate the deep and the cold and the dark. I've wonderfully experienced this peace in my life. One of the top reasons that I know that God is real is because of knowing his peace and his guiding light through the darkness. Most of you who know me know that I lost my first husband to cancer when we were in our late 20s, and there was nothing about that chapter of my life that was peaceful. And yet, there were times in the midst of that where God would overwhelm me with a sense of his presence and with his peace. There were times when I would feel amazingly calm. I would feel secure. I would feel even content. And it was so incongruous with my circumstances. I knew it was God's indescribable peace. And that experience was such a gift in those moments that it was life-changing for my faith and my confidence in God that he saw me, that he would be faithful, that he loved me. And now while I wouldn't wish suffering on any of you, I want so much for you to experience that kind of peace. It's the reason why this message is going to aim now from not just remembering the peace that Jesus 
brings, but to encourage you to receive it, whether it's for a first time or again and again and again. This peace is available to all who follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, it's not that he would withhold his peace from someone who doesn't know him in that way, but you can't have the peace of God if you don't have peace with God. And I think if you think about this, that makes sense. You can't feel the power of knowing that Jesus has overcome the world if you don't believe that he has. You can't experience the benefit of being guided on your way in the path of peace if you're running away from him. God's offer of peace goes out to all, but only his followers, the people who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will fully experience the peace that he brings. Romans 15, 13 is a beautiful text that points to the necessity of belief in this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Some translations say, as you trust in him. To have this kind of incredible peace through God, we first need to be at peace with God. And the way to do that is to believe, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to ask him to save you from your sinfulness, from your brokenness, and to be your hope in all things. And he is our only hope because there is no other hope that won't at some point fail us or disappoint us or prove inadequate. It's Jesus who has conquered every trial. It's Jesus who has overcome the world, and it is Jesus who freely gives us the supernatural peace that passes all understanding. I want you to receive and regularly experience this peace. Hard days will come, but being guided through them by our Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, is infinitely better than wandering alone. It's better because we can have great hope and security in him. We can relate to him as our closest friend, knowing that we are dearly loved by him. Now, sometimes he surprises us with these moments of peace, but at other times we do well to be intentional about seeking it. And so I'd love to get practical right now and give you some handholds of ways to receive peace. And the first one is to give your anxieties over to God. Some of my favorite verses of all time, maybe favorites for many of you too, are Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, do not be anxious doesn't mean you have to deny how you feel. It doesn't mean you have to pretend that you're not feeling what you do, but what it does mean is that you don't need to be controlled by those anxious feelings. As you give your anxieties about anything and everything to God in prayer, he gives us his peace as protection to guard our hearts and minds. These verses acknowledge for us that our hearts and minds are under attack, guilt and worry and fear and shame and uncertainty These things all threaten our peace, but God is able to guard our hearts and minds in a way that goes way beyond our human nature. And the peace that he gives us transcends all understanding as we release our grip on the things that cause us stress, give them over to him, and trust him with it. This verse calls us to replace our anxious thoughts, our negative thoughts, with gratitude 
instead, and there's great wisdom in this, because it doesn't work to just simply stop trying to, or trying to stop thinking about something, right? If I tell you right now, whatever you do, do not think about hummingbirds. <laughs> What's the only thing you're going to think about, right? We do well to replace our thoughts with something as we replace our bad thoughts with good thoughts, with gratitude for who we are in Christ, with gratitude for his power and love, with gratitude for how he is the one guiding us in the way we should go. Peace guards our hearts and minds. It's why this verse directs us not just to simply not be anxious, but to bring everything to him in prayer with thanksgiving. It's healthy wisdom for us indeed. These verses were very healthy and, and helpful to me in this past week. I was reminded of the necessity of this. My dear husband, Steve, had to go in for an MRI this past week to rule out some scary stuff. He's fine. It did. It's all clear. Everything's good. And I'm thanking God for that. But nothing will trigger my anxiety as someone who's lost one husband than the threat of potentially losing him too. And I had to practice the wisdom in Philippians 4 a lot. I had to give God those anxious thoughts that I was having and reflect with gratitude on how he's been so faithful to us over and over. And as I did so, his peace guarded my heart and my mind and let me keep going. Now, wrapped up in what I just said is a second way that we can receive peace. Did you catch it? It is to reflect on God's faithfulness to us by remembering how he has been faithful to us in the past. When you look back on your life, what have you seen God bring you through? How have you seen him act in circumstances to bring about good? How has he given you what you needed to keep going in the past? He was faithful before, and he will continue to be. Several times in scripture, we see people place stones in significant places to serve as a memorial for the faithfulness that God has shown to them. We see it here in 1 Samuel. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up. He named it Ebenezer, and just as an aside, Ebenezer means stone of help, and yes, it is the origin of Scrooge's first name. He named it Ebenezer, the stone of help, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Elsewhere, Jacob built an altar to commemorate where he met God at Bethel, and the Israelites, when they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, God not only temporarily redirected the waters so that they could cross through on dry land, he instructed, instructed them to pick up stones from the dry riverbed and then to set those up in their camp so that whenever they and their descendants would see them, it would serve as a way to remember God's faithfulness and incredible power in their lives. What Ebenezer, what stone of help and God's power, what stone of remembrance might you have that would give you peace as you recall God's work in your life and his faithfulness to you in the past? A third way that we can tangibly receive God's peace is particularly helpful in those times when you're just a puddle, when you just don't have the strength to know what comes next and that is to invite others to pray for you. Invite them to carry you to Jesus. 
I am not at all ashamed to admit that I often need this. I needed that this past week when Steve was going in for that MRI. I've got a team of people praying for me right now. Having other people in your life who can be praying for you is such an important thing. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about our church's small group ministry because it's, that's a fantastic way to develop these kinds of spiritual friendships in a community of people who will pray for you and carry you to Jesus. This Christmas, give your anxieties over to God. Reflect on his faithfulness to you and let other people reflect his peace to you. And then, let him use you to reflect his peace. And that's what I'd like to shift to now because this peace is too good for us just to receive and remember it ourselves. We should also honor and revel in the opportunity that we have to reflect this incredible peace to the world around us. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What's the connection between being a peacemaker and a child of God? Well, as we share God's peace with the world, we are acting like God our Father, and in doing that, not only is peace multiplied, but we also are blessed. And let me just be real for a moment. The blessings abound, but it's not always easy to act like God our Father, is it? For many of you this coming weekend, you may be gathering together with family that maybe there's some tense relationships there. Maybe there's some old pain. Maybe there's some new. Maybe there's some situations where you know what you have to do. It's just not going to be easy to do it. Maybe you have no idea how to fix something. But in both cases, the God of peace, our God of shalom, is with us to guide us in wisdom so that we can walk in that way of peace with others. When we choose this, when we choose to be a peacemaker and reflect the light of Jesus, each act is like lighting a candle in the darkness. When we walk in the light as Jesus is light, like he does for us, we make the darkness a little less dark. Each time we seek to be the peacemaker, we reveal ourselves as the blessed children of God. So what does that look like? Well, it might mean that when we feel triggered, we respond instead with a kind word. Each time we see someone hurting and we do something to come alongside them and ease their pain, we're reflecting the light of peace to them. Now, this doesn't mean that we're gonna be able to peacefully solve every situation. Don't hear me putting that burden on you, and Jesus doesn't put that burden on us either. There's great wisdom for us found in Romans 12:18, which says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I really appreciate these two qualifiers, if possible, and so far as it depends on you. We have to acknowledge that we cannot control every situation. Peace may not be completely possible, but we can be responsible for our own contributions towards peace. We can be the ones who are bringing light into the darkness, and we'll do that increasingly well as we stay focused on bringing peace to the full extent that it depends on us to do so. So how do we do this? Well, I think our best method for reflecting peace in any situation is to copy the example of our Prince of Peace. Read the Gospels. Learn from Jesus. He didn't avoid messy situations. He made them better. When people shouted at him or accused him of something that he didn't do, 
He didn't defend himself. He often didn't even speak a word in that moment, but he kept control of himself, and when he did speak, he spoke truth. Jesus could see beyond the way that people hurt him, and he responded to them with love and compassion, forgiving even those who betrayed him and killed him. He was the ultimate peacemaker, and we are blessed as we follow his example. And he was also the ultimate peacemaker in what he did to offer us salvation in restoring us to peace with God. And so lastly, I want to encourage you to reflect the peace that we have through salvation with others. And I'm going to bring us back now finally to that passage in Isaiah that the Osbournes read for us during the Advent candle lighting. Now that we've considered the peace that Jesus brings, we've thought about how we receive it and the opportunity we have to reflect it. You see, Isaiah 52 also is nestled into a very not peaceful situation. The Israelites, the people of God, were suffering in their exile. Their rebellious actions had caused significant strain in their relationship to God. They were longing for peace, for deliverance, and yet feeling hopeless to fix it for themselves. And in Isaiah 52, we get the good news that their compassionate God has come to restore them. We see in verse nine, it says, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And it's in this feeling of relief that we get the verses that we saw before, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What relief for them to hear this good news that God is with them, that God is bringing them peace. What joy and relief to know that the shalom that they've been longing for has arrived. How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings people this good news. If you're not resonating with how joyful it would be to be this person who brings this kind of news yet, let me me put you in a headspace for that. Have you ever been in the hospital waiting room waiting for news to find out if your loved one is okay? How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. Be that person this week. Be the person who is bringing good news of God's peace to others. This good news of our God who reigns this good news of our God that we can be at peace with and have peace from. A Christmas Eve tradition in our church and in many others involves brightening the darkness with candlelight. It starts with one single lit candle and then one by one everyone lights each other's candle until the whole room is filled with the warm glow of twinkly candlelight. It's one of my favorite traditions and I hope you'll be here with us on Saturday at one of our Christmas Eve services to enjoy it. I think this is a much lovelier image of a peace at Christmas time than that lake cabin was that Google Images suggested, because this so well represents the beauty of the profound remembrance we can have in the peace that Jesus brought to us. The incredible gift that it is to receive this peace and the joy that we can have in sharing that peace with others. Until Jesus comes again, This is peace on earth.